I could I, I was so pissed off. I hope this isn't just trauma bonding, but also like <laughs> it's okay if it turns out to be that way. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Let's just put it right. Out there. I'm like, okay with it's that. okay if that's what it is. I'm okay I'm with not, commiserate. Yeah. yeah, I can commiserate for a long time on this. <laughs> Dr. Ethel Tunglehan, an associate professor of politics at York University. Welcome to season two of Academic Aunties. In today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into The Chair. If you haven't heard about it yet, The Chair is a Netflix series starring Sandra Oh as Jian Kim, the first ever woman of color chair of the English department at the fictional Pembroke University. We talk about the aha moments that made the show resonate for us, why the show was triggering to watch, and a lot of other things. Needless to say, there are spoilers. You've been warned. Joining us today is Jamie Liu, an associate professor in the Faculty of Law and the director of the Institute of Feminist and Gender Studies at the University of Ottawa, and the host of the podcast Migration Conversations. We also have Kimberly McKee, an associate professor in the Integrative Studies Program at Grand Valley State University and past director of the Gucci Office of Local History. I've long admired Jamie and Kim, and it is such a privilege to have them here with us today. Kim, Jamie, um, the chair, visceral reactions, immediate reactions. We felt all of the feelings. What did you think about the show? How did you feel when you were watching the show? Let me just say that when I first heard that this show was coming out, I was being offered the position of chair of the Institute of Feminist and Gender Studies. And so I was mulling over my decision. And I really wished this show was out before making my decision. It would have been very (laughs) informative. Um, Having said that, you know, it's the early days of my position, but I was, you know, very interested in the fact that there was a woman that looked just like us, you know, an Asian woman taking on this leadership role in an academic institution, it couldn't be more on point to our lived experience. So I was really, when, 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 you know, word was that the show was coming out, I was really excited. I really was, um, interested in how um, uh, the story would be told. Having binge watched <laughs> this in one night, I can say that it's it certainly was triggering. You know, it certainly was in some ways traumatizing watching your life unfold on a, a TV screen. And in some ways it <laughs> has um, ignited some interesting conversations. And, you know, people are messaging me going, is this really what it's like? You know, so it's really interesting because a lot of people don't realize what it's like to be a racialized person in an academic institution. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. How about you, Kim? When I binge watched it, it was for me, um, both jarring, right? A lot of things that they got right um, in terms of just really capturing some of those nuances that are certainly lost, especially when you're talking about Asian American or Asian women's experiences in higher ed. And then there are some parts that just seem super far-fetched, but also made for TV, right? And so I think that um, when considering both Jiyoon and Yasmin as colleagues and what that feels like, that's where I could see those similarities. Um, But also thinking too about my own experiences, both um, achieving and earning tenure at a regional comprehensive in the Midwest, as well as my time as a postdoc at a small liberal arts college. Um, 
there are moments where I was like, oh yeah, that happened. Or, oh yeah, I've seen that happen to friends of mine. Um, I think for a lot of folks, at least within my own social media, one of the biggest things were people talking about sort of the white mediocrity of Bill Dobson. (laughs) And what does it mean that Ji-Yoon ends up with somebody like him? It's these aha moments that I found really hard to grapple with. I just remember in the first episode, because it was pitched as a comedy, right? And as the episode went on and, you know, she starts a department meeting and it's like this phalanx of like whiteness, I was like, oh God. And so I kept waiting for it to be funny, but it just wasn't funny. I felt that it was depicting my life, obviously, you know, stylized and Hollywoodized, right? Um, But I think I wanted to ask both of you, were there particular scenes that resonated with you, particular moments during the show? I can jump in. So one of the scenes that I thought was very um, alive for me was um, there was a time when um, early in my career where um, there was a question of whether I could teach a particular subject um, because of my junior status. And some adjunct professors had um, taught this particular course and they were seen as stars of the field, even though they were not permanent fixtures of the faculty. And I was asked to co-teach despite the fact that it was very open and discussed with me that I would be doing all of the work. I would be doing all of the marking, the organizing, the meeting with students, but that, you know, this very famous adjunct professor would be teaching this course with me. And to be honest, at the time, you know, I did contemplate it, you know, I wasn't put in the position that Yasmin was put in, but, you know, I certainly felt a lot of pressure, um, but I, I, I pushed back against it and as a result, probably burned some bridges um, in, in doing oh. so. Um, but I feel like a lot of us sometimes are, you know, asked to do things that are not ideal situations, especially in the teaching environment, or asked to do things to make other people feel good, or asked to do things to make other things work for other people and not necessarily for us. Um, and I felt that for Yasmin, I felt that, that she was put in a compromising position in her teaching that as a pre tenure person, her teaching evaluations would be subject to this shared responsibility in the classroom. I felt angry for her. I felt sad for her. I felt, you know, um, really, <laughs> I felt like it was very real that I, you know, that I, it, it, it made me rethink, you know, the kind of experience that I almost fell into um, and, and pushed back on, but but felt like I, I paid the price for, you know? For sure. And just to clarify, right, Jamie, like when you say, because you're at the Faculty of Law, so a star adjunct prof is someone who um, is like a practicing lawyer or someone who just is more known in legal circles and is kind of taking this on, on top of their kind of legal practice. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to be honest, I had a lot of respect for the person at the time. Um, but I didn't feel it was fair that I would get half teaching credit, was expected to do all of the work and also was expected to compromise my own ideas about how to teach the course or, um, what my, you know, role would be in that course. And so, you know, looking back, I do have regret that we couldn't end, you know, resolve this in a way in which we all could have been professionals about it. I felt very, um, constrained and, um, and I, I feel like there was a lot of difficult um, discussions around this, and I felt like it was unnecessary. And I felt like 
at the time, you know, I wasn't treated like a colleague that was in a tenure track mm. position. I felt like I was being strong armed to do something to make someone else um, feel comfortable about their position and, and to keep a star, you know, um, affiliate of the faculty um, involved. I'll, I I do want to say as well, like that, that hurt me. Like it was the first episode and, you know, Jian um, tells Yaz to amalgamate her class, right? Her more popular class with, what's his name? Elliot? Is it Elliot? Who's the? Yeah. Okay. Elliot. Elliot. Yeah. And then on the first class, he's like, can you just hand these out? Like the handouts, right? And he was, she, he was treating her as a TA when in actual fact, like it was her class that was overprescribed. And I think what you say, Jamie, resonates with me as well, because it's like women of color are expected to just do what we have to in order to make it work, even if we will face repercussions in doing so. If I could just add to just a second of that, that, you know, that scene where she was handing out asking, you know, that to me was so pointed because I felt like that's what my experience would have been like, you know, and, and I felt like, you know, what I felt very conflicted because for Ji Yoon, I felt like, (laughs) you know, what was her role in, you know, she, she saw it as a way to try to promote Yaz's tenure application forward. But at the same time, you know, she didn't really have Yasmin's true best interest at heart in terms of her development of her career and her place in, in, in the department. So it's a very conflicting and I think very real conundrum that people face when they're trying to manage all of these elements. I think this idea of Yaz's concern about being seen as the TA, right, and what that looks like also speaks to the way in which women of color on campus are, who are faculty are constantly mistaken for either undergraduate students or graduate students. And what does that mean in terms of authority in the classroom, in terms of people taking seriously our collective expertise? But for me, in terms of things that really resonated with me, are those exchanges between Yaz and um, Jiyoon, as they both sort of negotiate what it means to be women of color, as Jiyoon has to also wrestle with what does it mean to be a woman of color as chair, and the various uh, power dynamics that happen with that position. do I wish, obviously, that some of this was written better, where we could have fleshed out Yaz's character in ways that were given to some of the other white characters in the series? Of course, right? Because, but, you know, the fact that she ends up leaving, right? Um, and, like, letting Jean know sort of at the end of the end of the season, I, I don't think that's surprising to anybody. Like, when you're not when you're not putting it, putting your money where your mouth is in terms of you really want to support students of color by retaining faculty of color, well, this is what happens, right? This isn't shocking to anybody. But I think for a lot of folks where I saw things split, and I don't know, Ethel, if this was a conversation that you and I were also having on Twitter, was um, how folks who watched it, their reactions were very much rooted based on their own sort of positionalities within the academy. You know, what I've noticed as well, it's almost like, and I'm probably mispronouncing it, it's it's like a Rorschach test. Like, you know, how you see the show depends on where you are and your positionality. And so what I found really interesting is I do have um, another colleague who was like, you know, maybe this was true in 1995. And I was like, really? Because I think it's true here. And then yet another, um, usually it's, I, I find that it's usually cishet white men who were like, please, it's a satire. And you're like, I don't think if it's too close to home, does that fit the definition of satire? Can I just say too that a lot of things that I think are 
poignant about the show too is that, and, and what you're saying is that some of these things would not ex- not happen to certain people because some people would think they wouldn't be able to get away with it. Like I don't know if how many of my, you know, white male colleagues would have been asked to teach a course with a star adjunct professor and expect to do all the work and only get half the credit for it. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's something to be said about what I think the show depicts accurately in the sense that, you know, certain people will be asked to do things and other people will not. Do you know what I mean? And the, the certain kinds of limits of that, right? And then the other thing is, you know, what Kim was talking about, you know, Bill was a character that I thought was done well in some ways because he got away with so much. No, I mean, I think too, when we're thinking about Bill or just not even about Bill, I think what you were saying too, sorry to bring it back further though, about people being asked to do things. I think we see that a lot when you delve deeper into Joan. So regardless mm. of like, I felt bad. I think she's a great actress. And, the, but there's like that weird rate my professor's like subplot that I'm not sure like what was happening with that with the <laughs> IT guy. Um, so I'm just going to let that sort of sit over there. But I, but I think her uh, reflections about her own time and her own career in terms of being stalled and being asked to do all this service really speaks to how gendered the profession has been in terms of who's expected to do certain kinds of service. Um, and we also saw that a little bit, I think when Elliot was talking to his wife about her own tenure denial, but mm. how he didn't see, and I, and somebody else has written about this and I forgot where I saw this, but how he also just didn't see what he was doing to Yaz through that same lens. Right. So it was seen completely different. Um, and of course there's like a racialized gendered thing happening there. Um, so, I mean, I think then to get back to sort of what this question around Bill and sort of the leeway he's had, I think that was, you know, as much as folks want to deride sort of a lot of his character, but I think that was the purpose of his character mm. was to be so over the top, not only in terms of just sort of his own actions, but also how much leeway um, and room he had to get away with certain things in terms of both second chances with the institution, but also second chances with Jiyoon. Mm. Um, and I'm not mm. sure then what it says in terms of treatment of Asian American women or women of color, right, just in the show, right, because as she's kind of cleaning up his mess, both personally and professionally. Can I also say that the other dichotomy in terms of like, you know, for for a large part of the show, you know, there's that distinguished lectureship. And You know, there's a lot of attention being paid to giving it to this white man, David Duchovny, who's a star, you know, but yet there's this underlying understanding that Yasmin is a star in her own right, right? But yet, for whatever reason, people don't see it, except Jiyoon, right? And so it's really interesting how this depiction of who is a star, what does it mean to be a star, and then this kind of contrasting about how Yasmin, like, you know, slowly drips you know, things of, as to what her research is throughout the series. But then we hear David Duchovny's like aged um, talk about his dissertation, <laughs> you know, and you realize he's only a star because he was on, you know, a TV show. So, you know, it's it's really interesting to see what is valued and what kinds of star value is being attributed to worth, worthiness in, in that. And, and I thought, you know, the series did a really great job of kind of depicting that in a sense in a very 
you know, has been academic, you know, or tried and tried academic against Yasmin, who is a true star, you know, who is been recognized as a star by Yale and is at risk of being poached, you know, and this is, I think, a very common problem, you know, and as a chair now, I'm, I'm thinking about one of my greatest fears is, you know, not um, mentoring or um, nurturing, um, you know, my colleagues who are racialized, who are junior and fostering an environment where they want to stay. That scene where June says, I stayed here because of you. You know, what part of the reason why I joined the Institute is because there's some fabulous people there. And, you know, it would be such a disservice for me as chair to see some of these people go. So I, 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 I feel so much for June where she says, you know, I stayed because of you and she has that interest and she was fighting for Yaz's place on this dis- distinguished lectureship. And yet there's these other forces that define what is a star scholar. Well, I also think too, right, where she said she stayed for her. She also says she stayed for um, Joan and Bill. And I think there's room there. Like, what did Joan and Bill look like, you know, five years before? Right. Because I, I think to just assume that they were always like this, I think really misses being able to sort of see these people as three dimensional characters. Right. And to really think about how mentor with mentors, your mentors don't have to look like you. So for June, perhaps one of her strongest mentors and advocates um, at the university could have been Joan. But I think, too, it, it, it could also serve as an explanation for the kind of relationship June and Bill has always had. So maybe mm. Bill was never like this. And I realize I'm sounding like some funny Bill apologist. And that's not <laughs> well, that was never my intention. But as I was no, but as I watched it a second time, right? So I watched um I binged the series again last night and this morning before <laughs> we were doing this. I was struck by that line where she's where she's saying, no, I I I stayed because of basically Joan, Bill, and Yaz. What's interesting, as you were saying that, Kim, is I was thinking of Yaz's parting line to Ji Yoon, right? Which contrasts with um, Ji Yoon's line at the meeting where she was like, just because you remove Bill, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, uh, doesn't mean the structural problems aren't existing. But what I love is thinking that thinking of that line in juxtaposition with uh, the line Yaz says, where Ji Yoon was like, look, you know, um, you, like you're one of the you're the only black professor here, right? Like we, this is why, you know, we want you to stay, you know, whatever. But then Yaz goes, and that's why I'm leaving because I'm the only one. What does this show us about the deficiencies of liberal modes of inclusion then, right? Like it's not about singular people, it's about the structure. Um, how are how are we kind of fighting for change when the structures of the institution are so rotten? Well, that sounds demoralizing. But I mean, I think it is also really good, though, because it prompts us to to raise those questions. But I don't know if folks who are watching, right, so thinking mm. about administrators, for instance, mm. um, who are watching who can sort of make those decisions around hiring, especially now in this mid-COVID, I guess one could say, this mid-COVID time, mm. Um in terms of university budgets and in this era of budget cuts, right? Where we are talking about, as a reference in the show, butts and seats and what that means. Mm. Um, what does that mean for hiring practices and, mm. and as well as retention practices? So if we're thinking about we're, we need to not only just continually to have the only, the sole person of color in a department, the sole queer woman in the department, those kinds of things. Well, what's what is needed to cr- have full transformational change Mm. 
to happen, right? In ways where it goes beyond feeling like tokenistic inclusion mm. or that person in this case, Yaz, or even some of the other uh, faculty members of color that were referenced in the show by students, but not outright sort of present within the series. Like, what does it mean then um, for those folks or those folks who are actually doing the work at our own institutions who aren't necessarily being recognized or whose labor and advising and mentoring and all of these mm. other sort of informal service obligations that we all have, you know, where are those being made visible and legible um, to really encourage more investment versus thinking, well, so-and-so can do it. They've always been doing it. Well, they've always been doing it because they've been the only person. For me, too, when Kim, when you were mentioning about how Jiyoon mentioned um, Joan, um, you know, I also saw that as, you know, a nod to mentorship, too, you know, and that Jiyoon um, was having a reckoning moment, I guess, at that time to think about her own role as mentoring Yaz in a way, you know, and 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 the I guess the failure of that in seeing Yaz leave, you know, um, and that feeling of you know, did I do all I could do to um, mentor this person? And I think that's a really important aspect to at least, you know, my own experience. I think the only reason why I've lasted this long in academia is because I've had amazing people who I could go to, to talk to about things, to get advice on, to read the bylaws with me. I mean, that scene where Yaz is like, <laughs> you know, you read the bylaws and I'm like, you know, yes, <laughs> yes. It's, you know, um, it's a complicated place to be employed at. It's a complicated place to, to um, work in, you know, despite the fact that it is in some respects a dream job to be able to research and teach on things that you love, right? It's a fraught place. And I think, you know, when she starts talking about that, that role of mentorship is really interrogated, I think, in the show. And I thought that was really poignant about, you know, what, where, where, where have all these relationships fallen? And, you know, everyone's in disarray by the end. And it just seems very heartbreaking to watch that. Well, but I wonder, Jamie, if, if it really was a failure of mentorship on Jiyun's part with Yasmin, or if it was a failure of something else. Yes. And I, I say this because maybe it was the mentoring that allowed her, that allowed or encouraged Yaz to feel like, oh, she could leave. And I'm not saying that she needed like Jiyun's approval, but rather thinking about maybe it was a mentoring relationship or at least from Yaz's perspective where she also sort of realized, okay, this is it. Like Jiyun is being as transparent as she can about what this institution can offer me. I have to look somewhere better for myself, for my own self-care, right? And so maybe, it, maybe yes, Jiyun's failure rests with her ability to sort of effectively chair that situation, right? But maybe it also speaks, though, to the relationship they had built over time where, um, and the other mentors that Yaz had outside of the institution to encourage her to leave. So can I say that I... I I don't fault June for Yaz's departure. I certainly see that as part of the the structures around academic institutions and how it is sometimes, you know, works against um, keeping and retaining um, women of color. But having said that, you know, just in my very short time as chair, you really do feel an attachment to your faculty, and you, and I, I guess mm. I, I, I kind of 
wretchingly, you know, felt that failure, that, that moment of failure for Ji Yoon. All this to say is that we wear all of this heavily, even though it is not our fault, you know, and that the structures around us create these messes. And yet we're in some ways, Jun's, like you said, left to pick up the mess and we're left to deal with, with all of that, both, you know, um, intellectually, but also emotionally, as you, as you say, Kim. What I really find fascinating about this conversation is it's making me think of three mentorship relationships and it's making me think like what you both were saying women are always and women of color are always tasked with picking up the pieces right so we have Joan and Jian we have Jian and Yes but we also have Bill and Lila right like Bill uh, is supervising um, this I think she's Filipina I don't know maybe it's just because I want everyone to be Filipino in the shows because I'm Filipina but she's supervising uh, this woman of color grad student who is also his TA who you know has been getting trying to get him to read her dissertation and she's like cleaning up the mess you know when he's having his breakdowns and she's the one like trying to get Jian to figure out where Bill is so he can keep teaching his classes and it strikes me that there's different portrayals of mentorship there. And I would argue that he's not as engaged with thinking about the effects of his actions on Lila, his supposed mentee, as opposed to kind of Ji-yun and even Joan. Well, and it's kind of like late in the game mentoring, right? Where he ends up reading the manuscript and sending it to his um, publisher, right? Or it's trying to like open that door for it, like the very end. But I think... It does also speak to, at least when I was reading it or watching it, I, I sort of read that situation as thinking too about how Asian American and Asian women are read mm. by society, right? So thinking about sort of her positioning, not only as a grad student, but also as her body as like an Asian woman and what that signifies in terms of people's assumptions about sort of being in that subservient type of role. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um but I also, when you're mentioning Lila, I also am thinking about the reporter, right? So you have two mm. Asian women walking and talking next to each other. And then you also have Ji Yoon, who's advising the graduate student. So for me, there was a lot of interesting things to say about sort of just Asian American representation, as well as sort of those power relations then when we're thinking about sort of these three Asian women kind of in conversation with one another vis-a-vis sort of the scandal around a white guy. Yes, that's true. Oh my goodness, that I didn't even think about that. Like, it's like these three Asian women um, all have to kind of think through uh, what to make of the scandal involving this white guy, right? It's like, again, it's, it's, it, it centers the white guy, but it's also interesting how they all are, I mean, the reporter had like one scene, but they're all kind of understanding it differently from different frameworks, right? If I can add on that, I just thought that the scene with the aunties also looking at Bill from afar and, and commenting on him also added to that. You know, you're just like, wow, there's like a lot of um, astute observation by Ji Yoon's aunties, you know, and, and some, you know, underlying commentary about June's life, you know, and and what they perceive um, her professional life to be as well. Yeah, but it's still kind of centering Bill's narrative. <laughs> well, no, so okay, so, but I think so. Uh, you saying that just made something click 
So I didn't realize until this morning when I was being nerding out on this is that Amanda P and Jay Duplass, the actor, apparently had worked previously together and she was excited about working with him again. And she initially, when she ended up hooking up with the, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name, the other writer, the other main writer, the one who has her PhD from Harvard, right? Yeah, the English PhD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The English PhD. Yeah. Um, she had sort of conceived of sort of a show about a widower and sort of his experiences. So I, I think then, right, it becomes this merging of that idea as well as sort of the, the co-creator's idea in terms of what the show would look like. So I think it, if you take all of that backstory into account, it makes sense that we're kind of all centering around this white guy. I don't know. I just, I know. Like for better or for worse. I'm, you know, it's. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think a lot of my most heated discussions about this has surrounded the character of Bill, which is frustrating because it's supposedly a show about Jiyun, but yet it's still revolved around Bill. And I just, I don't know. And going back to what I said about it being a Rorschach test or whatever, um, I have had colleagues who were like, oh, but Bill's so sympathetic. And I'm like, well, I is he? He's given allowances that you know, women of color would never be given, right? Like, I can never show, I cannot have a year-long breakdown, you know? Like, I can't, I can't show, like, what, like, porn? Or, like, well, it, it, like, no, nudity it his, in class? Yeah, no, 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 I, I know, I but that's it how wife. it's construed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But still, I would be, like, sent to the dean, I would be reprimanded, right? Like, yeah, no, it was his wife giving birth, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. But you can't, yeah, you can't have such like a an extended bereavement in that kind of way if you're not a white guy. But I think what uh, I think it to go back to sort of the original question that launched sort of this conversation about scenes and moments that resonated with me. I think it was also though what kept me going was June and her her dad. Yeah, right. That seeing a, com- a co- seeing a complex Asian American family kept me going. Not mm. only because we saw sort of Korean and English being spoken sort of interchangeably, right, with with such ease. But seeing it in a show that wasn't marketed as sort of being like an Asian or Asian-American show, um, but just kind of having it normalized in these other sorts of ways, or even seeing the doljangshi, right? So seeing that first birthday um, mm. and going to the dole and drinking soju and seeing the ajumas there talking about uh, Bill, but also sort of reflecting on kind of this, this, these broader dynamics. I don't know where I've seen that in sort of in a show like this, right? In a show that's going to have such a wide audience. I, I agree. I have to say that that storyline was very um, poignant for me. Um, it was very powerful to convey how professional Asian women do caregiving, that they rely on their community, they rely on their elders and how their elders do it without question. Um, I really loved the father character. I loved how he was steadfast in speaking Korean no matter what. I loved how he also dressed up in that Mexican outfit and tried to support Juju and how he was like, you know, getting her excited to go into school. Um, I also, you know, as much as the story centered around Bill, I felt like Bill was used as a vehicle during the dole to mm. center the auntie's discussion about June's life. They focused mm. on him as a way mm. to provide commentary about their worries, their asp- aspirations and expectations about Ji Yoon. 
and in a in sometimes a very funny way about how they would comment well you know that she couldn't adopt a, a <laughs> Korean kid and but Angelina Jolie could kind of thing you know but I I felt like for me Bill wasn't so much as I saw him just as a vehicle for the aunties to talk about Jiyoon so I viewed it differently I viewed him as just a an opening for them to kind of be like Jiyoon's not here but let's talk about her anyways because that guy's there were there things about the show that you really want us to talk about that you're just like oh my gosh you know this might be a moment for catharsis if we were to just like put it out there can, can i just say it was also cathartic to see conversations between jiyoon and, and yasmin and it reminded me of like you know the kind of kinship relationships i have with other colleagues and and just you know it really resonate with me that you have different kinds of conversations with different kinds of colleagues and um and you know you don't get a lot of interaction in in Hollywood or TV where you have two powerful professional women having you know an honest conversation like that i just it was very um poignant for me to see that to see it depicted in that way and um also reminded me of the importance of the kinds of kinship relationships we form in our profession right Jamie to go off of that i think you're right the, those conversations between Yaz and Jiyeon really reminded me of the conversations we have in hallways the conversations mm-hmm. we have over coffee and drinks at conferences um when we are with other women of color um thinking about the conversations at the um that not it wasn't the cocktail party right where um it's Joan Jiyeon and Yasmin standing together right i think there's something to be said about um even those moments right because those moments folks typically aren't privy to right unless you're part of these groups and what does that mean to sort of have them shown especially when i think if if you are listening, if folks are listening to sort of the chatter about the show with intent, they should be realizing that this really resonates for many of women of color. I mean, at the point in which folks are like, I actually can't watch the show because it, aspects of it seem too real, people should be paying attention. Um, mm. If Will they? Who knows? But it, it should be giving folks pause um, because seeing that kind of kinship, seeing that kind of mentoring happening and that support um, for me, it was really nice. And it provided, again, these moments of opportunity where I really enjoyed watching the show. For sure. And I think one thing that we haven't talked about that I do want to mention, because I think it's important to mention is I do like seeing, uh, you know, the students of color advocating um, for yes. I do like seeing the students of color mobilizing and understanding how the academy works and what they need to do in order to watch out for Yaz. Um, I feel that that resonated the most strongly with me because I've had so many conversations um, with students of color who they come to my classes, grad students and undergrads, and it becomes a deeper conversation, a more meaningful conversation, a more meaningful relationship by virtue of our identities and our social locations, right? Yeah. Didn't you find that scene where there was these group of students who walked into June's office and they were you know, raising all these issues. And all she could say was, I know, you know, like, it was just like, <laughs> she didn't have to say much more. She was just like, I've lived through it, you know, and, and they understood. And like, and I felt like that moment too, that it depicted an important moment where racialized students c- felt comfortable to come to her to speak openly and speak honestly. And she was like, yes, you know, and I, I thought that was also a very powerful 
moment that maybe not a lot of other people know that happens very often, right? That, you know, racialized and women of color are often um, the go-to for um, students. And we often go to them and lean on them as well. And, and so there's this relationship that sometimes is unseen. Final question, if I may, like, I know because I just really want to talk about this with people. The ending. <laughs> Do you like it? Or maybe not like it. What did you think? It's a TV show. I mean, it's <laughs> it's doing a particular. Well, it, you know, I think it's doing the job in which it's set out to do. For me, it was that the when you think about sort of the beginning of it, beginning of the series and the end, it felt like it wasn't surprising to see them get to that point, right? You know, even after all of this other stuff happened in the middle, but. I wasn't, was I satisfied? Of course not. You know, would I have wanted it to go differently? Would I have wanted sort of the vote of no confidence not to happen and for folks to actually stand up for her? But, you know, I'm also, if we, if we think about this in terms of um, the realities and the lived experiences of folks, it's, you know, I think a lot of times it may, it could be making us uncomfortable because it feels so real too. And just to clarify, the ending we mean is when Joan, when when Gian is like, you know, Joan, you're going to be chair. We're not talking about like hints that Bill and Gian are like getting back on track, right? Because for me, what was really oh, painful, I'm talking, I, I guess for me, I guess I'm, for me, I'm talking about both. So for me, okay. it wasn't it wasn't surprising. So the so the vote of vote confidence and sort of you know Joan now sort of I guess being chair, right? Because in, in some ways you're trading a woman of color for a white woman, but what are we actually really trading, right? Mm. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Besides removing racialized misogyny, but there's still other misogyny going to be happening. Right. But then with with, I guess, Bill and June ending up together. I mean, wasn't that where we were going the entire time? Wasn't that wasn't that why he was watching Juju to prove that, like, he's a decent guy underneath or to for likability factor? I expected it to have an unsatisfactory ending. Let's be honest. The place mm-hmm. is a like academia is a very you know, fraught place. And I feel like the show really depicted that and we were never going to be satisfied because in reality, um, it's, you know, there's a lot of, um, things that are unsatisfactory about the situation for a lot of racialized faculty. So to me, it was, I thought it was poignant that that happened. I'm like, yeah, typical, you know, um, (laughs) and to me, like that actually added, you know, to, the validation that there is going to be an unsatisfactory ending, unfortunately, for Jiyoon. And I felt sad for her, you know, and I felt like she wasn't given a chance. And and I felt like this is so poignant of like, you know, for a person like her, she can only make one mistake and that's it. And that's what happened. That's true. And I think, yeah, you're right. Both of you were right. It was never going to be a satisfactory ending. It's not like Jiyun would get like some sort of promotion or whatever for because we're not allowed to fail, right? Like, and she um, clearly um, wasn't allowed to do that. I mean, she could get promoted to chief diversity officer. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Yes, she will be the EDI like VP, whatever. Oh my goodness. Okay, that's another like kind of worms and trauma. <laughs> I, I just I was like, well. Could she that? But <laughs> should she take um, it though? Should she take think- that job? I don't know. Maybe we should start. No, <laughs> that's I mean, what I'm I saying. And I'm like, no, let's not do this season two with her as know. an EDI person. <laughs> 
Well, uh, thank you so much, um, Professor McKee, Professor Liu, for this like super enlightening conversation. I think I'm still pissed off at the ending, but that's okay. Like, <laughs> but definitely, I've been wanting to have a conversation with brilliant folks about this, and um, I really appreciate both of you taking the time out of your day to come. It's been an honor to be part of this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. There was so much more that we talked about that we couldn't include. Kim actually also talked about how the show depicted adoption. Kim's Twitter feed has her thoughts on this. Check out a link to this thread in our show notes. Also, check out Kim's book, Disrupting Kinship, Transnational Politics of Korean Adoptees in the United States for a critical look at international adoption. There is so much more we could have analyzed too. One thing is for sure, the chair has generated many conversations. For me, the most salient part of the show was how realistic it felt in its depictions of academia's power structures. That's Academic Anties for this month. If you enjoy this podcast, help us get the word out. The best way to do that is to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. If you want to get in touch with us and read all the show notes for this and other episodes, visit academicantis.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're also on Twitter at, at academicanti. Today's episode of Academic Antis was hosted by me, Dr. Ethel Tunkohan, and produced by myself and Wayne Chu. Tune in next time when we talk to more Academic Antis. Until then, take care, be kind to yourself, and don't be an asshole.